from the Cannes Film Festival. This very special episode of Girls on Film comes to you direct from the fest, where I catch up with Liz Watts from Seesaw Films and critics Valerie Complex, Wendy Mitchell and Karen Krizanovic. Who is this man? I'm her godfather. We also check out the new Indiana Jones film. Get back! All that and more coming up on Girls on Film. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hi, listeners. This is Anna Smith looking out of my balcony in Cannes, looking at the harbour. Below me, there are loads of restaurants, very busy and bustling. Lots of people walking past. It's early evening, so people are starting to dress up. There's a bit of glitz and glamour here, along with the tourists. There's a market selling lovely vintage goods in front of me. Very shortly, I think we'll start to hear the music that they play before the premieres when the red carpet opens. Harrison Ford is due on it this evening, so I'll keep you posted. And with me in Cannes, in my apartment, overlooking the beautiful harbour, I have Wendy Mitchell. Hello, Wendy Mitchell. Hello, Anna. So nice. I, you're, I have a view of like an alleyway. So this view of the sort of, yeah, the port, the Pantariero, I don't say it correctly, um, it's pretty spectacular. It's pretty good, isn't it? And Karen has actually, Karen Krasanovich with me here, has been sharing a flat with me. I, I hope that hasn't been too traumatic it's for you, It's been Karen. wonderful. It's oh, been good. really wonderful because it's a professional household and it's got a beautiful view and you go, this is great, and then zoom out the door. You save so much time being here. It's brilliant. Yes, yes. Actually, my favorite view is the inside of my eyeballs right now. <laughs> Because you're on a jury here, yeah, aren't you, How's that going? Wow, it's a lot of work. How I many mean, films? I see four to five a day. <gasps> yeah, I think a max I ever did when I was a child was eight, but I never wanted to return to those days. But I respect Fipresky, the International Film Critics Association, and it's an honor to be here. And Wendy, how many films a day are you seeing? I know your day is full of different things, mm-hmm. right? On the ground here, embarrassing, I have seen one film. I mean, but today I moderated eight people pitching. I did seven meetings. I moderated at the Producers Network for an hour and a half. Tomorrow I'm seeing two films. It's going to start to get a bit lighter, and I stay almost to the end so I can really indulge in watching cinema when all the talks and the meetings are over. It is brilliant, I must say. I'm loving it. So today I saw two films, went to two parties, had a couple of impromptu meetings and planned some broadcasts for tomorrow. So yeah, we're all... We're all living the dream. Living the dream. And I I actually love to say everybody in Cannes has a slightly different schedule. Yes. Some people are seeing five films a day. Some people come for 30 years and never see a single film if you're like a publicist. Yeah. I'm somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, so I wanted to ask you both, before we get into some details of films we've all seen together, any of the sort of female-flavoured films so far that you've absolutely loved? Karen, is there anything that's grabbed your attention so far? You know, I love American big popular cinema. I like big box office things. And I like stuff that I can tell people about or expect it. I find that 
the, the films that I'm, because I'm on the Semaine de la Critique. Semaine de Critique. Critique. Yeah, my French is terrible. I'm American, so it has to be. And also the Quinzaine de, de Critique. So I'm watching a lot of films that almost all of these are female-led. Brilliant. Which I think is very interesting. The quality is quite high, but it just shows across whether it's from a film from Amman, a film from Pakistan, a film from rural France, that there are strong, very strong female characters who are completely believable. And they're believable to the people in the cast as well, I mean, to, to the storyline. So it tells us that stories about the resilience and the innovation of women and, and their place in culture as it rolls along is starting to become of interest. Are there any particular ones you wanted to highlight that you've seen? Wow. <laughs> uh, the one that I just saw right now, In Flames, a Pakistani movie, uh, was six years in the making. Another one that I saw earlier, um, The Feeling that the time for doing something has passed. Right. It's an American film about a woman who's, who's submissive, and that wasn't really... Well, it, that, again, has a female lead. And the thing is that the woman in that movie, uh, she's naked through most of the movie. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to see her doing the Q&A, but because I haven't seen other Q&As, I didn't want to be biased. I definitely want to check that one out. Wendy, what have you seen that you'd recommend? One thing I, I love is really quite a tiny film called It's Raining in the House from Belgium, um, Paloma Sermondi, uh, directing... It's in one of those sidebars. I saw it this morning. Okay. And I thought it might be something we've kind of seen before, but it had a real sense of place. It's about a brother and sister. They have a weird dynamic, and they're played by non-professional actors who are brother and sister. Oh. So it's, it's got something to it. It's not oh. huge. Yeah. What, it, what it reminded me of is that you know if you've watched Succession, no matter what happens, the family's still sticking together. And I get that sort of sense that even though they're diverging, mm. that family, that they're still a family. And mm. that's kind of refreshing. Je vais avoir 18 ans, je dors avec mon frère. Eh ben moi, j'ai pas les films. Déjà, il ronfle, et en plus de ça, il pue des pieds. Mais dors en bas, yeah, there's something of a spark in that film. Yeah. Um, one I'd really recommend is If Only I Could Hibernate. I've been told it's the first ever feature film from Mongolia, selected for Cannes. It's in Uncertain Regard. Amazing first-time female director, Zoro Puravdash. It's about a teenage boy sort of coming of age in a messed-up family. I thought it was really interesting. I don't see that many films from Mongolia. And it was really interesting, this sort of clash between sort of generations, and he wants to go off and study. He's really smart. He wants to study science. His mother is illiterate, sort of mucking up her life and her kids' lives, and then the family sort of lives in the countryside and in a bit of poverty, and then there's another member of the family, maybe an aunt or somebody, who lives very nearby in the city, in like a high-rise, so just the different cultures, even within one place, I thought was really interesting, and yeah, very assured, again, a small story, but very well done. Thank you for those recommendations, hopefully the listeners will be able to see them within the next year, that's generally yes. the sort of time frame, but something to look out for. Now, I think we've all three of us seen Tiger Stripes, which is from Malaysia, which I was really struck by, it's about a young girl going through puberty and the way that her friends deal with her she's kind of the first in the class to come on as we used to call it and she's subject to a lot of teasing and bullying 
And then it gets interesting, and we won't go into that, but Karen, I know you were very struck by this film as well. Yeah, I was. I watched it with my partner, who mm. just likes Transformer and John Wick movies. And I said, no, no, we're watching this. And I'm like, mm. And I was like, come on, just give it ten minutes. And he was like, at the end, he was like, it was really good. Somebody's going to buy that and remake it. And I said, probably. Mm. I think what it is, I mean, Michelle Yeoh, it's a great time for Malaysia, because she's really shined a spotlight on that. But I think it's also, when you see these young girls, they just seemed very real mm. teenage girls. And modern. Very modern, mm. naughty, beha- you know, all different characters, characteristics came out. And it was just very real. And then, of course, there's a, a surreal twist. No, do it. Mana kau dapat benda ni? Kau tengok. Tada! Tada! Alatuh! Oh, where is that I was, I think I was expecting this to just blow my mind. And it engaged my mind and, you know, treated my mind. I really liked it. I probably didn't think it was, it maybe let me down a little bit with just a few of the elements that I don't want to ruin, maybe some right. effects and things. Yeah, yeah, the effects. Obviously, they don't mean. have probably a big yeah. budget. Okay. Yeah. I, so, yeah. I thought, first of all, I just loved, I haven't really seen that many films about young Malaysian women no. and their lives, and their sort of TikTok generation meets this old school, and there's a lot going on in this film with, you know, bullying and families and animals and exorcisms and yeah yeah I was quite excited by it I thought you know maybe there's a few things I could pick apart that maybe the director will with a second feature or something tweak I think that's fair to say yeah it's an impressive first feature Mm -hmm. really exciting I think and so yeah thank you for your thoughts on that have either of you seen the return from Catherine Corsini I have not I was supposed to I had to cancel my ticket so Uh, so, yeah I really loved it just to say for the listeners and for you both so it's the story of a mother and two now teenage daughters that go back to Corsica for a sort of working holiday. But it turns out that their dear departed father was Corsican. So the, the mother and the two girls are black and the father was white Corsican. So there's a culture clash and there's discovering your past. And then there's these young girls dealing with kind of microaggressions and racism in the area they're in, but also delving into their own past and finding out about what went on that their mother has perhaps kept from them. So it's gripping, it's good, and it deals with some topics that we deal with on Girls on Film. C'est ton journal entier? Non. Pourquoi tu caches alors? T'as rien à faire? Je parle. Vas-y, bouge là, c'est bon. Oh là là, je ne pas. Mais tu fais quoi là? Ne me can I mention one more, Please. very quickly? Yeah. If you remember Nine Queens, the movie Nine Queens, which, which was... Argentina. It? Yeah, Argentina, Bielinski, and it was remade, Adam Sandler remade it, not as good. I went to San Sebastian in the 90s. I walked into the first screening, sat down and watched a movie called Ilaura. I've written about this, and it never got distribution outside of... Argentina, as far as I can tell. It was one of the best films I've ever seen. So, of course, I'm in love with anything by Bielinski. Of course, he died shortly after making Nine Queens. But there's a feeling, very much a Bielinski feeling, if not better, in The Delinquents, which is uh, Rodrigo Marino's. Uh, It's a three-hour comedy, bank heist, 
but one of the stronger, well, two of the strongest characters are women. And considering it's a very male-dominated movie, it's the women that are funny and it's the women who are tough. Oh, that sounds great. Karen told me this yesterday and then subsequently I saw a few people at parties who were going, delinquents, delinquents. You know, in Cannes you get a bit of a buzz. Mm. That is one of the biggest buzzes I've heard. Another one which I'd heard before I came to Cannes was How to Have Sex, which is a British film which I think I'm the only one here who's seen. Oh, you've seen it, Wendy. Um, you can see how my excitement. Yeah. I mean, I loved it. I think it's a small masterpiece. You know, it's not yeah. really trying to aspire to be a masterpiece, but I thought it was the energy of it... The layers to unpick of some of the morality, you know, about consent, about who's an ally, who's a villain. I will be thinking about this film for a long time. Such an assured debut. Yeah, so British female director, it's set on a package holiday. Three teenage girls determined to get as pissed as possible, necking the shots. But their sexuality, what interested me as well is their sexuality is fluid. They're not all necessarily interested in exclusively guys. But as you say, it touches on very important mm. issues of consent in a really interesting way, I think. I, you know, I'm really yeah. still thinking a lot about it. And this is definitely one of the buzz hits of Cannes this year. Yeah. What's yeah. it like, though? Is it oh. like any other movie you've seen before? I mean, After Sun is an easy okay. comparison, but it's not just because that's a package holiday film that's happened recently. But, um, I mean, not even Rocks, because it's a bit older than Rocks, isn't it? But it's a teen sexual awakening kind of movie. But, I mean, it's it's of itself, really. It really blew me away. Just fresh new voice. Yeah, it's After Sun is a good comparison. Not necessarily in the tone or anything no. about the film, just that we've seen another really strong female voice from the UK arriving, like, fully developed. Yeah. I would say um, some Andrea Arnold yeah. uh, maybe, just in the realism. Yeah, and I, just beautifully shot. What, one thing I also like is sometimes we see films about teenagers and it's very othering. Mm. Like, oh, look at this. They're like a different breed of humanity, teenagers. And this sort of somehow, even though I don't neck shots on a package holiday, or certainly not now. I've lined them up, Wendy. What what are you talking about? Come on. But I just felt like we were in there with them, not like sneering at them, not even necessarily judging them. And I like that everybody's getting wasted, but I didn't feel any judgment that if there is consent and abuse going on, that it wasn't sort of the alcohols to blame. I don't know. There was... It was a bit fresh, the approach to young people. I totally know what you mean. Or just the approach to lifestyle and morality. Mm -hmm. It wasn't saying just because you drink or you do drugs or whatever. Or you might wear a skimpy outfit. Yeah, or you wear a skimpy outfit. Mm -hmm. Or you might catcall, interesting, you might catcall a girl. And you might think that the guy that catcalls a girl is going to be the bad guy. But maybe he will actually turn out to be the good guy. So there was a lot of great areas of people, which Mm -hmm. I liked. And it did remind me uncomfortably of some of my... Youth? I don't know about you. Well, you know, we didn't have package holidays in my youth, and I grew up in the States, but it's like, yeah, going to Myrtle Beach, and just, oh my gosh, what would we like? (laughs) So it made me really glad not to be a teenager, but also just, you know, pressures on the modern youth. So, there's so much to think about. Yeah, and you know, it's a really, really interesting director, and I'm excited to revisit it when it comes out in the Mm. UK. I think How to Have Sex will be one to definitely do. You make it so difficult, because I can see it tomorrow, but I have to give up what they think might be the the Palm Door winner, which is the dry grass. 
Oh, which Which, is for Okay, so what do we think is going to win the Palme d'Or? Has anyone got any favourites so far? I love hearing the Turkish film about Mm -hmm. Nuri Bilgit Selans about dried grasses, but that's all I've heard. Some of the bookies like the Ken Loach because it is Ken Loach's probably now for real last film. Um, I really have high hopes for the, nobody's seen it, Alice Rorocker. Oh, yeah. With uh, La Chibera. Yeah. I think she's going on an even slightly bigger canvas. Uh, she's just a great filmmaker, and Josh O'Connor's in it. Well, always a winner. So let's see. And she is an incredible filmmaker. Mm. I've loved what she's done before. And wouldn't it be great to see a third woman winning the Palme d'Or, right? Because there's only been two before, am I right? Campion and Chitan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ducournau. Yeah, crazy. So what you can hear now is music pumping out of the speakers at this kind of TV station, uh, the official uh, TV station, I think, of Cannes, which is opposite my apartment. Um, They're obviously gearing up for the red carpet reporting. Just around the corner, soon at the Palais, the red carpet will open for the evening's premiere of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Are you going to have some champagne, Karen? I think that's a like, really bad idea. That would be very can, but I realise that you guys have got things to do on a Friday. I'm retiring. Well, in that case, what are we drinking? Same for the goddaughter. Dad told me you found something on a train during the war. A dial that could change the course of history. Why are you chasing the thing that drove your father crazy? Don't move. We need to get out of here. Stop! Sorry. Did anyone else? Dun, 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 I was Jones. This morning. We Jones this morning. What did you make of the Jones, especially from a female perspective? I had a horse in it, so I liked it. Dr. Jones, get him. a strong female character in it, that's for sure. Yes. There might be some tablets. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. You've taken your chances, made your mistakes, and now a final triumph. Yeah. Terrific special effects, euthanine, Harrison Ford. Give him hell, Indiana Jones! A few times in my life I've seen things. I've been tortured with voodoo. Been shot nine times. Once by your father. Ah, sorry. But I've been looking for this all my life. And I thought the storyline was great, kind of going back to the original. There was stuff that was surprising in there and breathtaking. Yeah. But on the whole, you can see why people are saying it's a little bit lumpy, but I'm going to see it again. I went out last night to the premiere party and that was all great, but a lot of people had seen it there and they were all very down on it. So my expectations were really low. And then I actually really enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but it was slow. I think it could have done with a good script edit, but I mean, from a Girls on Film perspective, number one, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, as you mentioned, 
So she plays the goddaughter of Indy. And what's great, and actually in the press conference, um, Harrison Ford himself said today, I didn't want another flirty relationship with the female lead. So they have a very clearly platonic, avuncular relationship. And that sets the tone. And she also has a lot of agency. She is not, as some men said to me last night, very likeable. <laughs> and they said that in a certain way. So that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, these are guys who I respect. But I'm like, well, you know, Indiana Jones made some very suspect choices, right? Her character might make suspect choices. That's okay, in my book. You know, she has an eye for the gents as well. She is morally suspect. She's fun. Yeah, and, and as a, a filmmaker, a performer, and a writer, she seems to be taking over Bond and Indiana Jones. Yeah, great. By I mean, stealth. I love it. What's next? Born? Mission Impossible? Yeah. Love it. Yeah, so Phoebe, come onto the podcast. We'd love to have you. What are you doing here? Rescuing you! Hang on! Okay! But is there anything else you guys wanted to highlight for the listeners about the real can or the fake can? Um, I'm, um, I'm just, I just heard a lot of great chatter today about Rosalie, directed by Stephanie Giusto. And this is a film about a bearded lady. Ah. And I'm hearing rave reviews, lots of buzz, like a lot of buyers are really keen on this film right now. It's a French film. You know, I didn't know if I wanted to see a film about a bearded lady. Now I think I do if people are loving it. I think it's set in the maybe mid-1800s, yeah. maybe 1860 yeah. or something like that, when, yeah, there were bearded ladies on tour. Yeah, it sounds quite fascinating, and I just know it's a hot title in the festival for buyers that were like, ooh, we need to bid on this one now. So listeners can probably see it in the next year. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I hope you've got your notebooks out, everyone, because uh, Wendy and Karen have given us some excellent recommendations. Thank you so much for joining me in your busy can schedules to talk about everything can and female. And um, I'll see you at the next party. See you for a rosé. I look forward to it. Thank you. So I'm here at the Film Soho Can Next Party. It's full with fabulous people down on the beach. And guess who I bumped into? A familiar person who has been on the Girls on Film podcast. Yes, hello, it's me. No, hi, it's Ronnie Ancona here. I've gate crashed, actually. I was just wander around Can. No, I'm very excited. I'm just thrilled you're here. And you look un. Believable. Your listeners aren't going to see how extraordinary I think you look amazing, so I think we should post a picture on social media of us together, and then they can make their minds up. But Ronnie, for the record, is wearing a beautiful flowery dress that fits perfectly. The amazing Mary Janes. She looks stunning. The only trouble is I feel like a big child, and that someone's going to give me a small bit of birthday cake wrapped in a napkin at the end. Let's hope they do. That sounds fun. Don't you miss that? Yes. At the end of the party, some soggy... Victorious that, that would be a great can party if, as you left, they gave you a little bit a of soggy cake. modernist <laughs> goodie bag. I think we should have that sort of party should, next year. We should do that at the office, yes, yeah. actually. That would bring them down to size, wouldn't it? Well, thank you, Ronnie. Enjoy your can. Thank and you thanks, as always, for being a good friend of Girls on Film. Thank you, my friend. Next, I catch up with Deadline writer Valerie Complex about her experiences in Cannes last year. 
Valerie, welcome back to Girls on Film. I know it's been a while, like two years or whatever. It has been a while. And I'm in Cannes. I'm sorry that you're not here this year. It was good to see you there last year. Yeah, I, um, you know, circumstances were that I wasn't able to go this year with deadlines. But we are now sort of colleagues, at least I am in a freelance capacity for deadline. And last year you wrote many, many reviews. I know like me, you, you were even busier than me. But also you wrote a really important article about microaggressions against black people in Cannes and I wanted to tell you how powerful and shocking that article was for many of us and I wondered if you could speak a little bit about that to the listeners and also about kind of what responses you had to it. I don't know I guess I find it interesting that people were shocked but I totally get it because I know like you know, you're not going to experience the same thing that I'm experiencing while I'm at Cannes so you know I totally get it. Um, I don't you know When we first spoke, I was not at deadline. I was freelancing. You know, the environment was very different because you did ask me about having gone to Cannes back in 2019 when I was a freelancer. And I kind of enjoyed myself. I didn't have access very much. I just went to see films, you know, snuck into what parties I could. But last year was different because... I don't know. It. I had access that I didn't have before. And that made all the difference in the way I was treated. Interesting. People thinking that you're lost or some shit, that you are not where you belong because you're going to the quote unquote VIP section or you're going to sit next to the cast or you're going to sit next to the publicist. It's like, where are you going? <laughs> um So I found that all quite interesting or like, you know, security. I carry around a big backpack, you know, with all my stuff in it. Most people there carry around large backpacks with their computers and camera equipment and things of that nature. And I was doing the same thing, yet all the contents of my bag is taken out when I'm at security and not the other person whose bag is just bigger, bigger, but they just so happen to be white or whatever. And yeah. You know, getting strange looks and getting asked silly questions and just it's like, you know, I'm supposed to be here as well. Hold on one second. It's, uh, I don't know, just little things that I've noticed. And the reception was kind of interesting because it was quite shocking for a lot of people. But there were some people who were just kind of like, you know, who are you to say what is and what is not a microaggression at can you know some of us have been coming here for years and that's just kind of the way it is and i was just like well if you're content with the way it is then shame on you yeah. you know and, and i get it i get why people wouldn't make us think you know people want to hold on to their status they want to hold on to what little access and opportunity they have and i think that that's fine um but don't be mad at me because I said what I had to say. Well, it's all in the article if the listeners want to take a look on Deadline. And um, yeah, it seems to me say, is it shocking? It's like, you know, in the Me Too movement when a lot of men were going, oh, I can't believe you've been treated this way. And we were like, it happens to us every day. I mean, because that's not I, my experience as a white person. There were details that I was shot by. And I'm really sorry that you went through that because that must have made your can very difficult it was difficult to continue and it was like and I felt bad because you know my boss was like what are you doing why are you so out of touch why are you so slow whatever whatever I was like you don't know what I'm going through here Mm. so I don't know 
I think it's really important that you wrote about it in such a huge publication. I mean, my hope would be that important, influential people um, and some of the culprits would have read that and hopefully questioned their behaviour. What do you hope will be different at this year's Cannes? I don't hope for Cannes. I don't have hope for them. <laughs> I didn't write the article because yeah. I was expecting change. I wow. wrote article because I wanted people to know what they were doing. I, I don't expect change from them. I don't. That wasn't even why I wrote the article. If I had wrote it expecting change, those would have been some really high expectations that I would have been disappointed about anyways. But the article was pretty international. Like people from everywhere were like, wow, you know, especially in France, they were like, thank you for writing this because somebody has to know about what's going on here. Wow. Yeah. I'm actually curious to know how you've received the article and what you've heard about it since it came out last year. Yeah, that's a really good question because um, I remember I bumped into you in a restaurant and you said you were writing it, so I was looking out for it. And to my shame, a friend of mine um, spotted it before me and she's not in the film industry at all, but she messaged me and she said, have you read Valerie Combs' article? It feels really important. It was really fascinating but depressing reading. So I thought it was really interesting that, as you say, it really reached out to, I would say, non-industry people. Um, so then, of course, I read it and, and as I said, in some some ways I was shocked and in other ways having been um I was on a jury my first can and I've been in those kind of red roped off sections where there there's only about four people and the security guards are quite vigilant and I could sadly believe what you were saying but I thought it was really interesting the point you made about unconscious bias and it was about what does exclusivity look like mm -hmm. what does the establishment look like and I think that you know that's important because it it you're used to seeing it a certain way and then when you see these like glimmers of change you're like oh no that must be a mistake you know as opposed to wow things are maybe things are changing and I'm not with the program and you know the article got around and I think the Cannes president read it because you know as you know Cannes had been butchered by deadline before about a previous incident and um, now it's at the, at the beginning of the festival, there's this thing from Deadline. And then at the end of the festival, there's my article being like, oh, well, people are racist. And it's like, you know, <laughs> I can imagine it being like, we can't catch a break. But all kinds of people were emailing me, telling me like, wow, this was shocking. This is that. And yeah. Um, I'm glad that you're at Deadline and giving these kind of stories a voice as well as your wonderful reviews and your news stories you know it's really important i'm actually trying to learn how to be like you you write really <laughs> short and succinct reviews and i i'm trying to learn how to figure out ways to wrap it up quickly especially when i'm at film festivals and you gotta the output is so heavy we covered so many films last year all over critics week kanzan uncertain regard you know, we just, we cover so much. So Yeah, it was a huge team of a lot of people. Yeah, I tend to stick to around 500 words, keep it snappy, partly because the sort of journalism I've come from prior is fairly short form. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I've got used to it over the years of just like bish, bash, bosh. But I, but I enjoy reading your reviews, so I will continue to do so. And in terms of this year's lineup, obviously in this article you pointed out that there's only ever been one black woman competing in the Cannes competition. Now that has changed this year. What is your view overall of the lineup? Are you excited about anything? I mean, we do have more women in competition in general as well. 
it seems surprisingly diverse as well. It, you know, it seems to be, you know, quite a few people of color here. Um, but the lineup looks really interesting. There's, a, you know, like you, there's a ton of female representation that I'd love to be able to see. It seems so much better than last year's lineup, which, you know, I'm kind of... I'm just kind of sad I'm not going this year because this lineup looks so much better. I mean, it's no shade to last year. I mean, the films weren't good, okay? I just, I'm just going to be honest. I was just like, come on now, girl. This this lineup is not great. It definitely feels like progress this year in terms of the female representation. I mean, I've been going for quite a few years, as you know, and I remember the protests on the steps, you know, about the way women were represented at the festival. And you say that they don't listen. I don't know. I mean, if they do listen, it's very, very, very slow progress. And we're talking about different things here as well. Of course, what happens on the ground is different to what happens in the programming. But um, I, of course, have been cautiously optimistic that Cannes is slowly changing the main competition. And, of course, on the sidelines and, and a lot of the other strand sections, um, like Regard, there, it does tend to be some quite interesting female-led and more diverse stories in those. Yeah, I always find Uncertain Regard and Director's Fortnight to be so much more entertaining and just have so much more diversity out there that I just, if I didn't have to focus on the main competition, I probably wouldn't even be bothered. Yeah, yeah, I think it's probably really worth flagging that to the listeners that, you know, when you're out here, it's not just about the big blockbusters that they hear about that are competing for the Palm Door. There's loads and loads of really interesting international films in the they're not even size strands they are their own competitions in their own rights so yeah I'm hoping that more of that will seep into the main competition and and maybe we'll see you out here in Cannes next year maybe and please come back on Girls on Film because we love having you and uh you know for those listening you can reach me at Valerie Complex on Twitter uh, my website is ValerieComplex.com. I have a podcast with Deadline called Scene to Scene where I talk to you know, up and coming talent all over the spectrum of Hollywood. And you can find that at Spotify or iTunes podcast. Thank you so much, Valerie, once again, for coming back on Girls on Film. And we'll speak soon. Take care. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That was Valerie Complex. Since I chatted to Valerie, I've met several black female filmmakers out here who are part of the BFI's new partnership with an organization called Diversity in Cannes. It's a brilliant initiative supported by our friends at Time's Up UK and the British Blacklist. We'll be keeping you updated on that. Walking down the closet to my apartment, who do I bump into but Kerry Fox. Hello, Kerry. Bonjour. How's your can going so far? Very fun. I've met a few New Zealanders and a few Australians because I never get to see them when I'm in London. I miss them and it was really lovely. And of course, meeting you. Oh, lovely to see you. And Toby Rose, the man behind the Palm Dog Awards, how are you? I'm very well. I'm having a lovely time and it's great to see you. And Cannes is full of fabulous dog performances, can I tell you? I'm very excited about the Palm Dog. I think we might have some bitches in competition this year. Well, they're always there. You can't avoid them. But I'm very broad church. Yes. So that's good. But yes. there's some wonderful dogs. Yep. There's in the Ken Loach, there's the Yankee Gurismaki. And we're thinking this is a vintage year. My final guest today is from Seesaw Films. She's the head of TV and film for Australia. Here's Liz Watts. Welcome to Girls on Film. Uh, we're at the Campari Lounge. You just said to me, have you had a busy can? Uh, yes, 
I bet yours is even busier than mine. Tell me about it, Liz. What's it like? Well, it, it's good when it's busy, I would yeah. say. Um, no, it's been great. We're here. I'm here from the Australian side of Seesaw yeah. Films. And, of course, my colleagues from London are able to pop over. For me, it's a bigger endeavour. But, yeah, no, the market's really busy. There feels like there's a optimism here, I think. That's good. In terms of pre-selling. And it's a features market. And we do, of course, a lot of television at Seesaw. But it's a chance to catch up with lots of people, really. Can you tell the listeners, because some of them are in the industry, some of them are not. Can you tell them a little bit more about Seesaw? Seesaw. Yeah. Seesaw has been running for some years now and is a trans-global company, fully independent. So we're quite able to be quite flexible in how we work. We have a UK office and an Australian office. We have a team in London, quite a big team now. And creative director of the television side is Helen Gregory, who's quite renowned in the industry there. And I work closely with her as well on the Australian slate. And then in the um, Australian office, I'm head of television. I think our slate is pretty much 75-25 television now. So for some years, I think the first show they did was Top of the Lake, season one and season two. And then the idea is really to take the kind of focus and the branding of what Seesaw's always been renowned with, which is identifying and nurturing and working with talent. On Girls on Film, we're very interested in representation, obviously, and underrepresented voices, including women. What's your perspective on that, both personally and in terms of the company policy? My perspective on, I, I mean, working with new and established female voices is incredibly important. Yeah. We've just finished a film which will be going out later in the year, and that's, I was having lunch with Neon, who's <laughs> the US distributor, um, Kitty Green's new film called The Royal Hotel. Kitty's an Australian director. It's her second feature film with Julia Garner again. Her first was The Assistant, which is very yes. under the radar. She's been on Girls on Film. She's great. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. she's co-written and directed this film called The Royal Hotel, which is inspired by a true story of two young backpackers working in a female, working in a remote Australian outback pub. And it's fantastic. Is it drama, comedy, or it? We call it a we call it a social thriller. Um, Social thriller, yeah. (laughs) It's really interesting film because it plays with the perspective of what I think most women have experienced in their lives, which is that feeling of everything is okay, but I feel slightly uncomfortable with the way that you're talking to me. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain point where the politeness stops and you have to take action. So, exciting project. And we have a really mixed slate. In my past life, done projects with Indigenous female writer and creators in Australia. We have a slate that includes both established women creators, filmmakers, and also upcoming people, which is really important because we need to always get more talent through. Totally agree. It's the same approach we take the podcast. We love interviewing established women, but it's great to speak to people coming up and see new talent. You mentioned the market. I mean, some of our listeners might not be fully aware of what that is. Mm. A, I'd love you to give a little bit more insight into that crazy world that is the market. And B, you know, as a woman, if you think things have changed over the time you've been in this business in terms of the way you're treated. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember when I first came to Cannes, Cannes has always been a very um, specific, uh, both a celebration of cinema and festival, but a, a big market. And the inspiring thing about it is that you have people from all over the world. You have Southeast Asian, you have Korean, you have you know Indian to Europe to Latin America, to the US and the UK, all coming in, and you realise the possibilities. 
of being able to create really amazing content and feature films. So basically there's a market which is very big. There's sales agents here, there are distributors buying films and there are producers and sometimes we travel with our director or cast and try to sell films and finance. And um, I can remember being in meetings, I used to have a, a male business partner and everyone would talk to him, they wouldn't talk to me. That was a very common experience. Um, I think it's got a lot better in that regard. I hope so, because I do, I know a female and male co-directors and they still complain that everyone yeah, speaks to him. Yeah, it's okay. crazy. I think things are changing. Can, I mean, you would be following the sort of heat on the inclusion of female directors here. Yes, and, of um, course. Johnny Depp being here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of stuff that needs to be discussed <laughs> about that. Um, Do you want to comment on any of that briefly? Well, I know we don't have long. No, I think that, that Amber Heard is being slightly vilified and that Johnny can just step back into his role is kind of extraordinary. But yeah, it's, and, and I think that what we are seeing in the market and the festival, the other parts of the festival, like Directors Fortnight and Critics Week, is there's such a diversity of voices around and that's really exciting and both gen you know gender and but also you know from indigenous point of views and first nations storytelling and that's really exciting i was with the what's it it was someone really unexpected the other day it was apple saying that they're finishing a first nations feature in new mexico and i was like wow that's pretty extraordinary um it's good so, yeah, there are things moving and changing all the time, and that's very hopeful. You've just reminded me that in Australia, I've seen some reports that there's perhaps even longer way to go, and sometimes in terms of gender parity. Yeah. I mean, what kind of work are you seeing happening to try to tackle that? There's definitely some quota systems, which, you know, there's lots of debating around quotas, but I can safely say I was the beneficiary of quotas right. in my early career because there were schemes which were originally trained as a DOP and at that time there were no camera people who were women and I benefit from the system which was okay they're going to do an intake of a certain amount of women and we have terrific uh, we're quite thankful for it terrific government funding in Australia which we have to to compete with America and um, state agencies have diversification policies we have diversification policies on everything we make in terms of crew and attachments and trying to get people, trying to get, um, I mean, you can say diversity, it covers so many facets, but yeah, it does. trying to get people up the chain in terms of credits and being able right. to work next to a director and actually getting a credit, because mm-hmm. I, I think people do attachments but they don't actually get the credit and that can be reflected with an on-screen credit. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah. Do you get any downtime when you're here in Canada? Are you just running between no, I'm meetings? Running. I'm running. But I'm going to try and see. Um, I saw my fellow countryman's um, film, Warwick Thornton's film, the other night called The New Boy, which is a stunning film. And I'm going to try and see Club Zero on Monday night. Yes. Which is one of the competition films. Me too, Jessica Hausner. Yeah, yeah, really looking forward to yeah. that. Yeah, there are some fantastic female yeah. directors in competition this year. So. Yeah. Secretly hoping one wins the Palm Door. Yeah. Not that secretly, clearly, because I'm yeah. saying this on the podcast. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> what, are you got any tips for the Palm Door? Is that just not in your orbit no, so much? No, I really want to see the zone of interest, mm. which is the, I mean, that. Jonathan Glazer, yeah. And I heard that the Todd Haynes was very good last night, so. Yes, hearing very but good I don't know about that too. And thank you so much. much. I've enjoyed talking to you, Anna. I hope okay. to speak to you again. Thanks, All right. Liz. Take care. 
that was Liz Watts. And thanks to the Campari Lounge in Cannes for hosting us so beautifully for that interview. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, producer Lydia Scott, audio producer Benjamin Cook, assistant producer Eleanor Hardy, and our principal partners, Vanessa Smith and Peter Brewer. If you enjoy Girls on Film, please consider supporting us through Patreon. The details are in the show notes. You can also help by subscribing and reviewing us wherever you get your pods. That's it from me, Anna Smith. Au revoir from Cannes. See you soon. It's called capitalism. 